Shalom and welcome to Torah for Our Time, a monthly conversation exploring the challenges of modern Jewish life. The program is brought to you by Ortor Stone's Choshen Kollel, which grapples with critical halakhic issues in modern orthodoxy. My name is Ryan Hyman. I'm the executive director of Ortor Stone in North America, and we are delighted that you have joined us for this absolutely fascinating discussion today, LGBTQ Jews and the Orthodox community, where, where things stand and where they're going. I'm pleased to introduce our incredible panelists today. Dr. Michelle Friedman is a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst in private practice. She's an associate professor of psychiatry at the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital and holds the Stephen and Sharon Lieberman Chair of Pastoral Counseling at Yeshivat Chovevei Torah. A graduate of Barnard College, NYU School of Medicine, and the Columbia University Center for Psychoanalytic Study and Research, Dr. Friedman has been involved in bridging religious life and mental issues for over 30 years, and is a sought-after mental health professional throughout the Jewish community. Dr. Tuvia Perry, is a clinical psychologist and professor in the Department of Psychology at Barilan University and directs the department's community service clinic. He is also the director of the Danieli Clinic for Trauma and Loss, as well as an Oratoris Stone board member. He researches and engages in psychiatric care for victims of trauma and loss of relatives and researches and treats people struggling with their sexual orientation. He previously served as head psychologist in the psychiatric department at the Hadassah Ain Karim Medical Center. Rachel Freed is executive director of JQI, an organization that supports LGBTQ youth from Orthodox homes. She received an MSW from Yeshiva University's Wurzweiler School of Social Work, an MFA from Parsons School of Design, and her BA from Yeshiva University, where she served as president of the Stern College Student Council and as a presidential fellow. Rachel is a Wexner Field Fellow, a Schusterman ROI community member, and a Ruske Institute Fellow, and in 2017 was named as one of the New York Jewish Week's 36 under 36 Jewish communal leaders. Yitzi Lindenbaum is a math and computer science student at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Originally from Teaneck, New Jersey, Yitzi studied at Yeshivat Haaretzion. While there, he volunteered with Chavruta, an Israeli organization for LGBTQ religious men. After moving to Jerusalem, he volunteered as a counselor for one of the religious groups at the Jerusalem Open House, an organization that provides support for LGBTQ youth. And moderating today's discussion is Rabbi Dr. Kenneth Brander, president and Russia Yeshiva of the Oratoris Stone Network of 30 educational institutions, leadership development programs, advocacy, outreach, and social action initiatives. Previously, he was vice president of Yeshiva University and taught rabbinics at the Rabbi Isaac Elkanan Theological Seminary. He served as the senior rabbi of the Boca Raton Synagogue from 1991 to 2005, overseeing its growth from 60 families to more than 600. He received his ordination from Ritz, as well as from Machon Pua and then Chief Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu in the field of medical ethics, reproductive technology and halakha, and holds a PhD in general philosophy and comparative literature. One final note before we begin. Please feel free to use, utilize the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. If you have a question during the conversation, simply click on the button and submit your question. We will do our absolute best to address as many questions as possible as time permits. 
I now hand over the virtual podium to Rabbi Brander to get the conversation started. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you very much. And thank you all for joining us and to thank you all for, uh, um, and thank the panelists that each in their own right, uh, could, I could spend an hour on their contribution to the Jewish community and we're blessed to have them here. In every Orthodox community, in every shul, in every school, in every yeshiva and seminary, there are gay and lesbian people. Some are ready to share their identities publicly while others remain closeted. There can be no denying that they're here, each with their own story. These Jews, many in their youth and young adulthood are searching for their place in the Torah observant world. And they're looking to us. They're looking to leaders of the Orthodox institutions. They're looking to their parents, their siblings, fellow community members to offer them guidance, to protect and to decry those who do them harm, to allow them to be full dignified members of the Torah observant Jewish community. Yet sometimes through hurtful language and action, insufficient sensitivity and ongoing denial of the issues, we have left the gay and lesbian Jewish community out of the communal fabric, creating a clash of identities between their spiritual beliefs and their personal aspirations on the one hand and their sexual orientation on the other. We have created a suffocating environment which not only prevents gay and lesbian Orthodox Jews from experiencing spiritual fullness, but also one that fosters low self-esteem, loneliness and fear pushing some to depression, self-harm, and most tragically, death by suicide. So there are challenges out there and Torah does not want us to step away from them. It wants us to engage them. And while we recognize that certain activities of some members of the gay and lesbian community might be either biblically or rabbinic prohibited, but I think it's also extremely important to recognize that the Torah demands of us to make sure that every single Jew, every single member of the Orthodox community feels comfortable within our community. It goes beyond certain clear-cut Torah dilemmas. We have to have respect and dignity to everyone and welcome everyone for that, for Torah is as much theirs as it is our own. And let me just conclude my words and open it to the panel with a, a line from Kenneth Burke. Kenneth Burke is a famous literary theorist who wrote about the use of language and rhetoric. And he spoke about the fact that language needs to be precise. So I apologize in advance to the members of the LGBTQ community. If in my articulation of questions, if my language is not as precise as it should be, um, please accept my apologies in advance. I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm trying to do my best. And if I do not use language properly, I ask uh, Mechila in advance. So here are the question, here's our first question that I'd like to ask Dr. Friedman and then Dr. Perry, and then Rachel to comment on. The LGBTQ community, how is it different? And how is it the same compared to 20 years ago? What are the expectation of young members of the LGBTQ community, Jewish community versus middle-aged and older ones? Um, and what does 
the community, the gay and lesbian community expect for themselves and what does it expect from the community and how has the Orthodox community evolved? We'll start with Dr. Friedman, please. Okay, that's a, quite a lot of questions to cover in a few minutes, but I'm gonna take a stab at it. And what I wanna start off by saying, what's different now compared to 20 years ago? For starters, we're on this panel. We are on a panel that is sponsored by a major Torah institution that has members of the LGBTQ community on the panel. This is that, that whole adage of nothing about us without us. We have people on the panel who represent the constituency. That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago, certainly not 20 years ago. At the same time, as Rabbi Brander pointed out, schools, Jewish schools, shuls, camps, are having conversations about LGBTQ youth and adults. Rachel Fried represents JQY, Jewish Queer Youth, which is, she'll talk a lot about youth. Eshel perhaps responds more to the families of, of youth and, and older people. Eshel is sponsoring, Eshel Online, a talk, a conversation afterwards from one to two. But there are seminars, there's organizations, there's, there's um, collective activity that addresses these issues online in um, retreats that important rabbis come to and are often criticized for coming to, but they're coming. These conversations are existing, the platforms are existing, they're serious writing about this. Um, I wanna say in my own field in psychiatry, when I started in my residency back in the 70s, homosexuality was pathologized. Now that is more than 20 years ago, but I would say 20, 30 years ago, certainly, and in many quarters today, the notion that being gay is a pathology still exists in the minds of many people. And if not as a pathology, many people certainly in the past and in the present see it as a choice. That is really repudiated at the present day. And it's not a pathology or a condition that can quote be corrected. It is a state, a state of being, a, a valued and dignified state of being. So that change has led to a, I, I hope, not entirely, but the notion that faking a straight life or pushing oneself into a straight life, like marrying a straight person, trying to fake a straight life with enormous pain to all involved, certainly the gay or lesbian or queer person who's trying to push themselves into a life, their spouse, their children, that is, is no longer seen in, I'd say, mainstream circles as a reasonable choice. It's a poor choice. It's a painful choice with a lot of fallout. So that, I think, the whole notion of living in secrecy, don't tell us, just like, let's push this away, we don't wanna know about it, is, is I hope, over or on the way out. And the, 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 as Rabbi Brander was saying, wanting LGBTQ Jews to live full and dignified lives is really where we're at today. Um, at the same time, um, there, are, there are some things that aren't that different. And one of the big ones is a, 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 a big lacunae, a big emptiness 
in the rabbinic world in terms of serious responsa about how to address these issues. We need to get together as a Torah community and start evolving responsa that we understand kind of grew up in the modern age, but we, we need to work on this as a community. Um, part of the other questions were different expectations of, of younger Jews, LGBTQ Jews versus older ones. People are coming out younger and their needs are more pressing younger. Certainly their families want them safe and they are hoping that they will stay from connected to Yiddishkeit they don't want them pushed out. And we're hoping that the young Jews don't feel pushed out from the center of the Jewish community. Young people want participation and they want dignity. Empathy and tolerance isn't enough. So I think that that's, I'm gonna stop here. I wanna give time to my colleagues to address this and hopefully we'll have a rich conversation as we go on. Thank you, Dr. Perry, please. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Friedman. Um, I'm sorry to say that the situation in Israel is, is a bit different, is with, with much more diversity in the, even in the Orthodox, modern Orthodox community, it's not so clear cut. There is a big difference though, I think in the last 30 years, the, the big change that there is a lot more of awareness of that there is a problem and the problem is, has a quite significant magnitude that the, scale, the number of homosexuals uh, in the population is a significant number. So there is much more awareness. It's not something strange there, but there is still a very intensive debate about how to treat. I think there, there is a significant part of, of the Orthodox community in Israel that still believes that it can be changed. Although there, there is also a significant part that accepts the fact that that uh, homosexual can't be, that. Uh, uh, gender identity or homosexuality can't be changed, but uh, there are still serious. I, ca I can't even say that it's uh, islands. It's it's big parts of of the right wing of of the Israeli Orthodoxy that is still believing that it can be changed and people should be advised to to marry and to what you call to fake a straight life, but they don't call it fake. They believe it's possible. So there is a way to do, a way to go here in, uh, in Israel that term. I think there is an understanding that homosexuality doesn't equal psychopathology. This is something that is much more the, the awareness that, that it's not, people are not to blame for it and it's not psychopathology. And sometimes they could be very good believing uh, Jewish Orthodox uh, boys and girls that are homosexual, that it's not related to any personality uh, problem or to any other psychopathology. I think this, this is something that really changed. Another aspect that you didn't mention, I think there is an awareness about the danger, about the frequency and the prevalence of uh, depression and suicidality and the danger of mistreating homosexuals. That's something that changed and I think almost all the Orthodox community in Israel understands that there is a serious problem that should be, uh, should be dealt with in a different way that we, we, we had before, even though they don't really accept it, they still believe that it's possible. But every, I think all the Jewish community now understands that the problem is serious. There is a serious problem of depression. There is a serious danger of suicidality. So it has to be uh, treated uh, carefully. I think that the feeling of 
uh, of disgust and humiliation that was usually the attitude towards homosexuals is much, much more less seen. At least it's not, uh, it's not said directly. I think beneath the surface, people maybe have this kind of feelings. Uh, homophobia is still there. So I'm not so optimistic. I think it's, it's, the problem is still there, but there is a lot of, it's very much different than it used to be 30 years ago. I think all the yeshivas from all the wings are now open at least to listen and to know that there are students struggling with homosexuality and that they are not people to blame for it. This is something that I think is quite common and it's a big difference. Thank you, Dr. Perry and uh, Rachel, please. Thank you. Uh, so first of all, I just thank you for having me on this panel. Um, and I want to acknowledge uh, the people that have made it possible to have us on this panel at all here. And I think, I think that um, things are different now than they were 20 years ago because of many queer Jewish leaders who were having these conversations uh, 20 years ago and still continue the conversations. So um, I want to give a shout out to them, to Rabbi Steven Greenberg for coming out, uh, and Joy Layden for staying in Yeshiva University, and my colleague Mordechai Lubavitz, who organized the 2009 uh, YU gay panel that I went to as a closeted student. Um, and he also ran the JQI support groups that I went to, um, and that, that helped me come out, um, which he's been running since 2003. So I, it's because of them, and I think that's why we're here, and that's why we're having this progress. That's why we have the progress we have. Um, and I and I wanted, to, I thought it was important to to point that out. Um, I I also agree that it's important to understand where there is a lot of progress and where there isn't um, a lot of progress. And I think that the place where there's not a lot of progress um, is in the way that closeted people um, experience the situation. So and this applies to people who are uh, all parts of the LGBTQ uh, alphabet. So people who are lesbian, gay, transgender, bisexual, non-binary, asexual, all of the things that are included under the queer umbrella. Um, and that it, it, anybody who is in the closet is, is thinking similarly to how they were thinking probably 20 years ago. The expectations are probably, are, are very similar. And even if the reality is not true, the way that they're thinking is. So it's the, the thought of, please don't kick me out. Um, I, I, I want, I, if, I, if I come out and tell people who I am, um, my friends will not be friends with me, my shul or my school or my camp uh, will kick me out. And that's true even in the most modern orthodox of places. Um, and, the, like, and like Michelle mentioned, the idea of 20 years ago, people uh, marrying people of the opposite gender just to remain part of the community um, but we got an email at JQI last week from a 19 year old asking, I heard that there's an, a rabbi in Israel who sets uh, queer people up with uh, other people of the opposite gender. And do you have their number or can you do this for me? And uh, I, think, I, I think it's important to note that the, for the people in the closet, there is not much change, unfortunately. Um, and while that's true, the other side of that is when people do come out, there is a lot of progress. Uh, the expectations people have are, I'm here, I not only don't kick me out, but I'm a full member of the community and I deserve support. And if you don't give me the support, I'm going to figure out a way to make the support regardless. Uh, there are resources that are available for, there, there's JQI, which um, I'm, I'm the executive director, as we said, and our, our mission is that we support and empower LGBTQ youth 
with a focus on those from Orthodox Hasidic and Sephardi Mizrahi homes. Um, and we're, we're a mental health organization. There's Eshel, there are many organizations in Israel. I'm not even gonna start listing them right now because there are so many and I'm certainly gonna leave someone out, but would be happy to give a list afterwards to anybody interested. And there are role models for people to look up to, which certainly wasn't the case uh, many, like when I was uh, a closet student at Yeshiva University, I didn't know anybody else like me, um, my age or older. And I, I felt like I was, very alone in this. And I was, I felt like I was the only one in the world like me. Uh, so that definitely has changed. And there are all, all kinds of different role models and leaders um, who are Jewish and queer now. Um, and also this idea at JQI specifically that 20 years ago and even earlier, even less than 20 years ago, um, the conversation was about healing trauma. And that's where we focused, uh, we focused our work. Um, so people my age and people older, need the support um, to heal from that trauma that we experienced. And what we, what we do now is preventative care. Um, in addition to healing trauma, which will likely always be necessary, uh, but we, we work to give the younger generations the tools to cope and to be even stronger. So it's, it's less healing from trauma and more empowering uh, for the future. And I think that when it comes down to it, the difference between 20 years ago and now is that 20 years ago, when you Googled queer and orthodox, the top hit was Jonah, which is a, was a conversion therapy organization. And now when you Google Jewish and queer, queer and orthodox, um, you get JQI. And I think that that tells you everything that, everything that you need to know. Thank you very much, Rachel. Thank you. And I, I just want to make one friendly amendment about leaders. I want to mention you, Rachel, because uh, you've done some amazing leadership work and uh, you shouldn't be left out of this conversation. And uh, Dr. Friedman, who has uh, served as a mentor to me for, I don't know, way too many years that she would like to agree, but at least 30. And uh, whenever I had halakhic questions that require some guidance on, on mental health issues and most recently, Dr. Perry has played that role also. Um, you know, Dr. Friedman mentioned the issue of responsive literature. There's a few of us working on literature that please God within the next year uh, will get out there. And I'd like to thank all of you on the panel because each one of you I have turned to for guidance during writing this. Um, and you have always given up your time um, as well as share studies with me uh, to help us uh, do a better job on that. So thank you. Thank you all. Um, I'd like to then move to the next question. And I think this is a very important question. And I'd like to ask Yitzi and Rachel first to start off and talk about it, Yitzi, uh, you know, Yitzi Lindenbaum and Rachel Fried. What do you think are the best practices for educators and rabbeim when a person comes out? Um, you know, there's at least 3% of, of every single classroom of, let's just focus on the gay community at least, three to 5% in a, in a high school classroom um, that are struggling with their sexuality. And what are the best practices for educators in Rabbeim when a person comes out? Uh, and how to, to deal with parents or siblings who are distressed about their child coming out? Um, if you could just share with me some best practices based on your experiences, I think we'd all benefit from that. So why don't we start with Yitzi and Rachel, and then we'll turn to Dr. Perry and Dr. Friedman. Yitzi, please. Hi, and uh, thank you for having me on the panel. Um, a list of do's and don'ts for what to do when your child, your student comes out to you could probably 
be a topic for 70 panels, but I, I wanna focus on, on one, uh, one in particular, and that is taking a person at their word. Um, so to, to back up a little bit, um, when, when a child or a student comes out to you, uh, it's likely that what you're going to experience is a form, essentially a form of grief. Um, you are grieving the image that you had of them, the future that you imagined for them. Um, perhaps you, uh, you, were, you raised your child assuming that they were going to grow up to be a man and now they're telling you that they are going to grow up to be a woman. And that requires a certain reset and essentially you have to grieve the image that you had of them. And that is okay, that is expected, that is normal and you deserve the time and the space to grieve. However, uh, and by the same token, your responsibility is to do your best to, um, to hide that grief from your child, from your student. Because as much as you deserve the time and the, and the space to grieve, they don't deserve to watch their parents, watch their teachers grieve for them while they're still alive. And it's not a very pleasant experience. Um, now, I hope the psychologists on the panel will forgive me for referencing a uh, framework for grief that's not 100% backed up by, by current research, but I think we all know that denial is often a, uh, a step in the grief process. Um, and it's, it's an easy way out. It can be so easy uh, when we're presented with news that we don't particularly like to find some way to make it go away, to say, in our context, um, you're, if uh, your child, your, your student tells you that they're gay, you wanna say it's a phase, maybe they're bi, and that's its own can of worms. Um, not that nobody's, nobody's a worm, but it's a, the topic. Um, and, um, and um, you know, maybe they're, they, they're, they're saying that they're trans, maybe they just really like wearing heels. No, uh, that's, not for, that's not your job. It's not uh, for you to say at, the, at this point. Um, and you need to keep those thoughts to yourself at that moment. Um, I'd like to take, take some liberty to tell a little bit of, of my own story. Um, when I was in, I was about 19 years old, I was in Shana Aleph in Yeshiva, and I went to the, one of the Rabbanim in my Yeshiva. And I came out to them um, and I was looking for guidance. Um, and I, as I told them the story of my coming out to myself, uh, which I did approximately when I was in eighth or ninth grade, I started to realize about myself that I was, that I was not uh, attracted to women and I was attracted to men. Um, and uh, and one of the parts of my story is that there was someone else in my high school who um, it was kind of the worst kept secret in the school that he was gay and, and he sort of helped me uh, through figuring out my own sexual orientation. And this Rav in my yeshiva heard this story and he decided that this friend of mine in high school made me gay. Um, and that, you know, he didn't take me at my word. Um, and he decided after hearing this one story of mine that I told him under pressure that he knew exactly uh, what was going on inside me. Um, and he kind of just, you know, sent me out of his office and said, think a little about it, think about it a little bit and call me in the morning. Um, and he, he took this 19 year old who had spent the last four or five years building up and working really hard to make sure that this part of his, part of his identity was really who he was. He had come out to a bunch of his friends and to his family um, and he just knocked down that paradigm. This authority figure just told, just told me, no, you don't, you don't, I know you better than you know yourself. Um, and that's a, frankly, a really unsafe thing to do um, in that situation. Thankfully, I came out of it mostly unscathed, um, I, I'd like to believe. Um, but it is really not a safe way to handle that situation. Um, and your job when your student, when your child comes out to you is to offer your love, is to offer the resources at your disposal to make things easier for them. 
it is not to start questioning their own story. And let's say if you are convinced that the it is in the interest of this student, of this child, to um, to be asked the question, to be prodded to consider the fact, to consider the possibility that maybe they're not entirely correct about their own gender identity, sexual orientation, then the only emotionally safe way to handle that situation is to encourage them to go to something like JQI or in Israel to the Jerusalem Open House or Iggy or whatever it is, to spend time in a place where there's no judgment, where they can among equals explore their own identity, explore their own sexuality in a primarily emotionally and physically safe way and secondarily in a halakhically safe way, hopefully. Um, and that is, that is the only safe way. There cannot be someone coming from on high and saying, this is what you are, this is what you should be. It needs to be, it needs to happen in an open and, and uh, an even um, for, uh, forum. Um, and I'd like to, to end by sharing a quote from my own psychologist who said to me once that sometimes we are so busy covering up that we can't really think through our own feelings. Um, it's, it's such an essential, such an essential principle to keep in mind with these issues. Um, so in summary, take people at their word, offer them love and assistance, and frankly, grieve on your own time. Thank you. Thank you, see Rachel, before you start, I just, we've been getting a lot of questions. I've been answering some of them. We're not gonna be able to get all of the questions answered, uh, but if someone has a question and they wanna direct it to a particular person, uh, we will afterwards send it to them, send it to that panelist, and please God, when they have the time, they're all very busy, but they'll answer it uh, uh, to you. And uh, please God, uh, we'll try to answer some as we go along. But Rachel, please, if you can continue this conversation, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I will second in many of the things that he just said. Um, I, there's definitely not one right way to respond. Um, everyone's different, every kid is different, every parent's different, every person is, is just different. Um, I want to address something that I think might not be as obvious um, and something that we see a lot at JQI. Um, it's a common mistake that people make, which is um, displacing their own fear onto the kid. Um, so I would, my advice would be, do not displace your fear onto somebody else. Um, it makes the kid feel like my existence is the cause of my parents' stress um, and leads to a narrative of I am causing others fear, my parents, my rabbis, what, whoever it is, I'm causing them fear. Maybe it would be better if I weren't here anymore. Or maybe the reason that I'm getting harassed is because of something that I'm doing. If only I were more discreet, I wouldn't get this kind of abuse. Um, and a kid should never think that they're responsible for their own abuse. So this narrative, it's too often, I love you so much and I'm afraid for you, or I love you so much, therefore I'm afraid for you. Um, so as a result, you should be careful who you tell. You should maybe tone it down and be more discreet. Maybe it's a phase you're going through. I, maybe you, know, you don't really know, you're too young. And there's nothing wrong with being afraid for your kid or for your student, but the thing that's dangerous is telling this kid that you're afraid. Um, I can tell you from experience personally and from the kids that I work with that queer people are afraid enough without having to uh, hear or know about other people's fear. Um, I cannot say that, just trust me, we, we really know fear. Um, and it doesn't help to have anybody express their fear about us to us. Um, and if you need support as a parent or as a, a community leader, a rabbi, there are groups for that. For example, Eshel has uh, great parent groups. 
uh, or you can speak to a therapist or a rabbi. And there are many resources for um, adults who need support. So keep that in mind. Uh, what kids should hear and, and can hear from you is a number of things, but some the, the first things that come to mind, um, I'm very impressed with your courage and I'm so proud of your strength. I know that this might be scary for you, but know that I always have your back. And I, I don't always have all the answers, but I have your back. Or maybe I don't have any of the answers, but I still have your back. I think that part is really important. Um, and also make sure that there are many resources available, as Yitzi said, as, I, as all of us have said. Um, I think it's really important to make yourself aware of these resources um, and to make sure that the kids that you're working with or your own children are aware of these resources. And I also think it's important to not pressure anybody to go to these resources before they're ready. So it's, it's more of make yourself, educate yourself and, and know what's out there and then uh, make sure that your kids also know what's out there and they'll, they'll go in their own time. Um, but pressuring doesn't necessarily help, uh, especially when working with, with teens who have then probably not, specifically not wanna do the thing that you're pressuring them to do. So um, those are just some things to keep in mind of many, many, many more things. I could talk about for a long time, but I'll, I'll stop there for now. Thank you very much, Rachel. And Dr. Perry and Dr. Friedman, we've been getting a lot of questions. I just want to you know, focus on this question, best practices for educators and for teachers and for parents who are distressed about their child coming out or when, when a student comes out. But also maybe you can also add in the four minutes each, which is a lot of time about the fact that young adults are vulnerable and the rates of depression, death by suicide. And maybe if you have a few minutes in those four about the ideas of teen sexuality being fluid. If you can't deal with all those issues, focus on the first thing, best practices, uh, but thank you. We'll start with Dr. Perry. Thank you. <clears throat> I don't like do's and don't, don't do's and when we deal with, this, with, with psychotherapy or with convers real conversation, open conversation between people. But if I had to say one do, I would say listen. That's the first thing that I would say that you have to, for a parent or a teacher, listen don't speak so much begin by listening and listening exactly to what the person coming out in front of you is telling you it's not easy to listen but i think that's the first thing to really be ready to listen and to hear whatever he tells you and i, I think don't it, you shouldn't be in a position that you know better than him what is good for him and sometimes I'm worried, worried even of, of the LGBTQ organizations that as if they know what is the best for, for, for boys or girls coming into these organizations. And I'm not sure that's the right attitude. I think the first do is just listen, be open because sometimes people are depressed and, and they are anxious and they can't speak about it because they have to be happy they are going out of the closet. And it's not so simple. I think if you want to a sincere, conversation, you have to be ready to hear whatever the person tells and to be open to whatever he tells you. And that's true for parents, that's true for teachers, and especially religious teachers are, are, are very much used when they meet, I talked with somebody, means I, I said to him this and that, be ready to listen instead of talking to him. Listen to exactly what he tells him. Another thing, I'm very much I think it's very important that the meeting between people will be sincere, will be real, will be based on, 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 on real openness about the feeling, which means, and here I'm joining what Itzi said, there is grief. 
in, 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 in meeting the fact that you are homosexual and going out of the closet, there is a time of grief because for the parents, for the teachers and for the, for the persons themselves, because this you're grown up with certain uh, image of your future, of what will be your future, or how your family will look like, exactly how your life will look like. And there is, there is losing it means that you, the, I think the natural response is being in, in grief, uh, to respond with it by, by sadness, by the feeling of loss. And many times that's the first response that you get, especially from parents. And if you want them to be sincere with you, you can't expect them because sometimes I see modern parents, they, they say, oh, we love you, we love you. But the boys or the girls, they see on their face that they are, that they are very sad, that they are shocked, that they are bereaving. It takes time until they, they get used to the, to the news and they, they, they are really back there again as supporting parents. So I would say also for the students, you have to be prepared. It's not going to be easy you will meet these sad faces in front of you. And I think that's, if you want to be real with preparing them for the facts, once you open up in front of your parents, you, you will, the, you, the, the most common response will be a grief, will be sadness, will be surprise. And you have to be ready. You, you, it's not easy to say for somebody that is 18 years old or 20 years old to, to be ready to accept his parents problems but that's the fact you have to be ready that it takes time most of the parents with the time with the time they understand that the happiness of their children and the the the, the, the ability to have good life is to real to live according to their personality to their identity so but it takes time there there is a phase of grief you can't you can't push it push it away you can't jump above it you know this is something that is there and we have to acknowledge it it's there there is a time of depression there is a time of grieving there will be a time it's it, there is an end to this time so and I, and I think it's much more sincere to say it to students and to, to tell it to parents and to accept it in the same time you have to give hope hope is a very important part in any in any event of crisis hope or give being the person who is who, who tries to support hope is very important which means to promise that we love you we accept you whatever will be you are our son you are our student we love you whatever we will do whatever we can for you the best of that you will have a be the best life possible and we will be, we will be there for you even though you see on our face that it's it's difficult for us, it takes it takes us time. Uh, so I, I think sincerity is is important here, and not promising something that is too optimistic. Because I, I have patients like those that they can't tell that they are depressed. It's not so easy. Even if you go out of the closet, it's not a happy happy event. It's, it's something that there is a relief, a big relief of going out of the closet, but there is also some kind of you, you lose some things especially in, in, in the Orthodox community. It's not easy, even if you are in the most accepting community. Even the fact that you, to, you, in order to have children, it will be much more difficult for you. It will not be so easy to have children, to have your children. It, it won't be easy. It's not an easy path to go. And I think to be sincere about it, not to be over-optimistic, because I'm, I'm worried about not being real with, with, with the problem. So I would say, listen, listen exactly to what the person is telling you, 
where he stands, because not everybody is in the same place in his doubts and his questions. And listen, that's the, the most important thing and be sincere. And even with, with, the, with the difficult feelings, if you are open with them and you are sincere and you instigate hope and you promise hope and you promise your love, I think this is something that gives a basis, a safe base that you will be, be able to overcome the, the difficult times and to, to have a much better future at the end of the day. Thank you very much. Uh, and batting queen up on this. Okay. Uh, with, great <laughs> right. with great confidence. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to address myself to uh, mostly to educators in Rebaim because um, you educators in Rebaim are first responders um, and you are, can, I hope every training program for Jewish educators in Rebaim uh, includes some kind of basic uh, understanding, practice, um, training in these matters. Um, and I, I want to start off by saying, and I maybe I'm kind of repeating what everybody else said, maybe packaged a little differently. And my students, Musmachim in the field, have heard this from me before because it applies to this very deeply. Um, number one, you have to take your own emotional pulse. Like, how are you feeling hearing this from your student? Like, know what you're feeling and then make the decision, as Yitzi and Rachel said, what am I keeping to myself? What's helpful here? What do I button up? Most important thing, this is the acronym of my entire teaching, W-A-I-T. Like Tuvia said, why am I talking? Shut up and listen. Listen to what the person is saying. Take, keep your finger metaphorically or actually on your pulse and know what you're feeling and think about what you're saying. A basic premise, I would say, if a kid is coming to talk to you, Yitzi, when you went to speak to that rabbi who did blow it, you probably had a feeling of trust. This was somebody you could talk to. You went with some hopefulness in your heart. And I think that you educators and, and rabbis out there who get these disclosures, know that your students trust you. This is actually a, a this is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. It is a tribute to your quality that they are coming to you. So I would say a good, I mean, I'm with you, Tuvia. I don't like like pat answers and stock phrases, but it's good to have one in your back pocket. And one is, thank you for honoring me with your trust. Because that kid, that adult, whatever, is honoring you with trust. And you want to build a bridge that holds that trust so that you can listen from there. And then you say, you listen. And at some point you say, apropos of depression, of grief, a feeling that you failed, a feeling you've disappointed, a feeling that you're in love, a feeling that you're confused. How are you doing? How are you doing with this? Not who are you attracted to, but how are you doing with this emerging in your life? And then here's three more magic words. Here they are, magic words in my experience. Now your experience could be one person, it could be 25 people. Rachel and Yitzi and Tuvia have a lot of experience, but you can be sure that this is true. In my experience, people coming out have a lot of feelings and I wanna hear yours. Tell me about them. You're never gonna be wrong with that and you're gonna be building a bigger bridge that somebody can say, well, I'm scared. I've actually been pretty depressed. And then you can go further with, you know, at some point, not right away, but pretty soon in, have you ever felt so bad that you thought of hurting yourself? 
Has it ever been so bad for you? Oh, what have you thought of? And then, you know, this is how we train people to do suicide assessment. Do they have means? Have they done it before? There's a whole thing that I'm not going to talk about in, in under three minutes. But I think that building a bridge with that kid starts with taking your own emotional pulse and just being present, listening, and saying, how can I help? And listening from there. Thank you very much. Uh, these are really uh, deep questions. Each one deserves uh, an hour or two, and we're trying to uh, put it uh, in such a short period of time. Again, I, I've sent out a note that if anyone has questions that they haven't gotten answered, and I've been trying to answer some of them, um, just you can send us an email. I sent you the email, and we will do our best to make sure that they are answered, uh, either by one of the panelists, or if we can answer them ourselves, we will. Uh, I'd like to go to a next question, and that is schools, schools, Jewish organizations. What do you think the policy should be regarding students coming out in school? How should that be dealt with? What about LGBTQ youth and summer camps, institutional backing for support groups? Um, what, what can we be doing better uh, on those issues? And perhaps Dr. Friedman, if you could start and we'll return to Dr. Perry and then Yitzi, uh, I'd like to hear your feelings on that issue uh, based maybe in reflection of your own feelings as well as maybe what Dr. Friedman, Dr. Perry is gonna say, please. So um, I think in terms of how the Jewish community can respond, I think we have to all try to see, work to see LGBTQ people as full people who want to be in loving human relationships and want to be, um, have rich Jewish lives. I think that the focus, um, some of which is in the chat a little bit, I can't really read that and be present at the same time, as, as committing a singular sexual acts that are problematic, forbidden, whatever in the Torah, partializes people into a small component of themselves. LGBTQ people are artists and doctors and lawyers and plumbers and teachers and rabbis and all kinds of, and there's many, there are Republicans and Democrats in the United States. They're in different, vote for different parties in Israel. It's not a monolithic group that is defined by one particular activity. And there's too much focus on that. Um, so I, 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 I really want to start with that. Um, and I, I think that we need to expand the conversation um, beyond the specifics of sexual acts that people get so um, narrowed into. In terms of specifically, it's, it's people get so frightened of being um, partialized or being pushed away from the center of the Jewish community if they have whatever it is, a, a group for LGBTQ students in their school, a group for allies, a whatever it happens to be. I think we have to take chances about the humanity of people and see what, and just take it step by step. There's this fear that if we open up the conversation and make space, the Jewish community is somehow gonna fall off the cliff into some kind of Sodom and Gomorrah experience. And I think that that is such a, um, a, a, a painful, and I would say, I would say, I was about to say hateful, but it's a scared response. 
And I think we can do better than that. Thank you, Dr. Perry. I, I think that the principle is quite simple. What I would say about the Jewish communities, shuls, whatever, it should be equality. Gay and lesbian people or whatever are equal people to everybody else. They deserve all the rights, all the kibudim, all the roles that are played in shul, in Talmud Torah, and whatever it is in the Jewish communal life. They deserve everything that everybody else deserves. And if it means to have a kiddush for, for a child, or if they have a simcha that they, they, they are together, whatever, I don't think it should be the community's interest what exactly they are doing in their privacy at home. The fact that two people are together, and if they are happy with it and they want to bring a kiddush, that I, I wouldn't force to everybody to accept marriage or whatever. but. If people are happy with something and they want to bring a kiddush, I don't see. I, I think it, it, they should be treated equally for whatever. They, if they want to be chazanim, if they want to be balei tokea and shofar, if they want to be chazanim at neil at yom kippur, I think they they deserve everything. I don't. I am not sure that all the chazanim that are davening neil are much better, uh, better Jews than gay and lesbian uh, uh, Jewish. Uh, uh, parts of, of, of the community. So I, I think equality should be the base, the basic thing. They, they deserve everything that they could sit in the best midrash, they could do whatever, everybody else. It also means what we ask everybody else, that there should be a certain level of tznut. You know, you don't want men and women to kiss or to hug too much inside the shul. So everybody, it, it should be expected of, uh, of everybody. But I wouldn't say anybody that if a couple is coming in hand by hand uh, to the shul outside, I, I don't. I, I don't think it's our. It, it's the community's uh, community's role uh, to say something about that. So equality would be the, the the basic the basic attitude that I would say. There is a problem. Uh, I think, the, the, Michelle, you, you talked about the responsa. There, there is an alachic question because to treat them as balea vera, alachically, I think it's not easy. Even though we don't ask about it, but to say that, uh, and we don't know exactly what they do with each other sexually, but uh, I, I think that there is a problem with that. I, I am I, I'm not easy with that, even though I don't have a good solution for that, for the halachic question. So I, I don't have solution for everything. But I, the best thing I think, we, this is not something that is the community's uh, issue to deal with. Uh, but halachically, I think Rabonim and Poskei Halacha have to work hard to find a way because I don't think that Jews that don't have a choice and they can't live in a different way. And I have also questions basically whether the Allah really meant to this kind of, to these people with this kind of problems. But I, th I think there should be rethinking about the Allah question. But I'm not talking about that. That's maybe a different panel to deal with the Allah question and the, the precise Allah issues that are involved here, which are quite, quite complicated. But as, as, the, as a community, I, I think they, they should be treated equally. That should be the basis. Just equal treatment, whatever. Thank you, uh, Itzi, and then Rachel. I, Rachel, I'd like, you know, you have a lot of experience working with young people, so I wanted to ask you to bat clean up here. So, Yitzi, if you could just add, and then Rachel, I'd like to hear what you have to say. 
see, please. So I'm going to focus specifically on, on the question of the closet. Um, and as the person on the panel with the least letters after my name, I'm going to take the liberty of being the least gentle. Um, Jewish organizations need to communicate out loud that they have no problem with employees, members, students being out of the closet. And I'm not going to mince words here. Forcing someone to remain in the closet is emotionally abusive. It's that simple. Being forced into the closet, being forced to remain in the closet causes isolation. It, it, it build, builds a wall between people and their friends. It's something, something about themselves that they can't share. It means you have a secret about yourself, which makes you vulnerable on the, you know, in the worst case scenario to actual blackmail and the least case scenario to feeling like you have to hide something. It makes you feel when, you're, when your organization tells you that you have to hide this thing about yourself, um, it usually comes with a message of, our organization could get in trouble if people know that you're here and that you are out. Um, so that makes them feel like a liability, like a burden. There are two psychologists on this panel, but from what I understand, that is a recipe for depression. And that is absolutely not okay. Every organization has to be willing to say out loud, there is no problem with people being out of the closet in our institution. It is simply a moral imperative. And as a community, it is our moral imperative to make sure that uh, organizations do not have to pay a political price for making that announcement. And I say that they have to make the announcement and not just say that to people when they come to them because people in the closet are, well, they're in the closet, right? <laughs> they're, they're, it's hard for them. They see reality in a way which is often a little bit warped and they don't understand that it's okay to, co to come up to their educator, to their madrid or whatever it is and say, this is who I am. They're scared, they're terrified often um, because they don't know what will happen if it gets out. And that's why we need to take the first step. We need to say, we're open to you coming out of the closet, it's okay. There was an effort um, a couple of years ago that Eshel did with, with the pledge. I think in the end of the day, um, the way that this needs to happen is that it, it's not, it, it can't be something that the LGBT community is trying to convince the community to do. It has to come from the community itself. It has to be the institution saying, this is our policy. We don't care who you are. We don't care what you are. We love you and we accept you. And an organization that feels that, that the political cost for this move is too high. I'm sorry, tough luck. We need to at some point start working towards a solution. We can't keep on running away. The more we, we run away, the more it feeds this feedback cycle of, of being politically safe to not, uh, to not say this outright. And the more institutions jump on this kind of bandwagon, the less political price it'll be. And you just need to be part of the solution at some point. That's it's all. Yesher Koach and your comments. As somebody who had to make a statement that all of the Ortorosto and six high schools are open to all members of the uh, community that want to join, irrespective of their sexual preference or how do they describe themselves, I can tell you that um, there is a political price to pay, but I think the price in the world to come will be much greater if you're not willing to make a statement like that. So I don't think it's being heroic. I think it's simply trying to make sure you're doing the right thing. And I think you're 100% right, and it has to come from Torah institutions. To Torah should be accessible to all members of society, but we're focusing on the Jewish community. And when we rob people of that opportunity, we're doing a disservice, not just to the queer community, but to the straight community also. Thank you for your wonderful comments and keep on speaking like that and you're gonna get a few uh, titles to your name also. <laughs> Rachel, please. 
Yes. Um, all right. Thank you. So I, I think that um, the, I think the, the most important thing is that we need to focus on where the real need and the actual risk is right now. And that is with LGBTQ youth specifically. Um, and, and those youth who are likely listening to this right now, who uh, are listening to the recording after this is finished and is released later, we need to be making sure that we are talking to them and that those we need to make sure we know that these are the people that are hearing us. Uh, and so while we, we might be hearing people ask questions about adult situations out loud, um, and that's likely because the people who are asking those questions are no longer suffering in silence and they have the strength and confidence to be asking those questions out loud. Meanwhile, the rates of suicide, self-harm, and other serious mental health risks are astronomical among LGBTQ youth from religious homes, and especially among those who are closeted. And for those people, questions, like a lot of the things we're talking about are, are relating more to adults than to youth. Um, and those questions about adults are, they're hardly even hypothetical for these youth because they often have a hard time even picturing their own futures. Um, I also want to uh, address the fact that we, that this panel specific, that we don't have any trans representation on this panel. Um, and I think that that's something that we, we really as a community need to be working on. And perhaps we could have a separate panel about this um, and really follow up on that. But they are an extremely important part of our, trans and non-binary people are an extremely important part of our community and we need to commit to empowering their voices. Um, and the last thing that I'll say, though I have many, many things I could say, and I'm also happy to speak with anybody offline, um, but in we've sort of touched on this subject of halacha versus dignity and how we can, um, how we can either uh, reconcile these things or how we can have conversations about that. And uh, on that issue, I want to, I want to address the fact that people often get confused about this. It's not the biblical prohibitions that cause harm to LGBTQ people, to LGBTQ people. It's the association between the biblical prohibitions and LGBTQ people that cause the trauma. And I, I, it is extremely important that you stop associating queer people with a single Pusuk. That the Pusuk does not equal us. It doesn't apply to um, more than half of the LGBTQ population. And in general, stop associating people who are full people with the sex act, a single sex act. We often hear at JQI that um, there are people who don't want to create a support group because it would be like similar to creating a Mahalo Shabbos group. Like we, you don't have, we don't have a group for people who um, transgress this thing. So we wouldn't have a support group for people who transgress this other thing. And to that, I would say, you're right. Like we don't have groups that are supporting people who are uh, being over on this ISR, right? We have, and if that were the case, the equivalent is having a male anal sex club, which is what like horribly inappropriate. And you're right, we shouldn't have a Mahalo Shabbos club and we shouldn't have a male anal sex club. Those both of them are inappropriate. Um, I've been doing LGBTQ groups, LGBTQ support groups for many, many years. And we've never once had a conversation that encouraged our youth to engage in Mishkav Zachar or anything of the sort. And if that's what you're worried about, if there's a support group and you're concerned about your kid being healthy, and you're worried about this isser, then that's something perhaps you need to process um, why that's the thing that you're associating with them. And especially when we're talking about youth, because what we do when we equate people with an act is 
we, we sexualize people and especially youth. And as a general rule, we should not sexualize children. Um, and I think that it's really important to understand what it means when somebody says that they're gay. I don't think that, I think it's a lot of people who are not queer uh, don't understand necessarily what it means when somebody comes out to them as LGBTQ. Uh, identity is about what makes you, you. And you don't look at definitions in order to find out who somebody is. So when I say, when I use the word gay as an identity for myself, I'm not telling you about the sexual desires that I have. I'm telling you who I am. And I'm talking about what makes me me, which includes years of feeling different and combating shame and coming out to family, dealing with homophobia, fighting for my own dignity and having to learn to find love in my own way. That's my gay identity. And the notion that somebody would confuse that with a description of what I'm attracted to or who, I, it, it, it means that not only do they not have an understanding of gay identity, but that they insist on objectifying and minimizing my identity by labeling me with their shallow perception of me. And so if you, if you equate me or if you, queer, if you equate queer people with sex, then shame on you. And there's something that we really have to, we really have to be strong in how we, uh, how we enforce that. The idea that queer people equal a pasuk or equal gay sex or equal anything of the sort, especially youth, is highly inappropriate. And I think that that's where the conversation uh, needs to be, where, where there's a, a real misunderstanding and we really need to, to dig deeper into that. If we have to have more conversations about it, then let us. But the, that idea is something that we should dispel and get rid of because it's so harmful and so unnecessary. Thank you very much, Rachel. Uh, we're out of our time. Uh, I want to thank all the panelists. Um, following the screen order, Dr. Michelle Friedman, Dr. Tovia Perry. Thank you. to be Dr. Yitzi Lindebaum in the, sometime in the future. And Rachel Fried for the wonderful work that she does. Uh, uh, as a mental health professional, as well as the leadership that she plays uh, in the Jewish community. And thank you all. So I'm gonna turn this over to Ryan. Ryan, why don't you close it out for us, please? Thank you, Rabbi Brander, and thank you to all our absolutely fantastic panelists. I just want to let everybody know, while the conversation was going on, um, my colleagues uh, in Israel and I were actually already starting to work on the next uh, conversation, because there is no question uh, that this is incredibly important in the community, and uh, we need to address a lot more issues, and we, we look forward to, uh, to bringing that to you in the future, so thank you all. Um, I also want to thank the several hundreds of people who joined us from literally all around the world. Uh, we also, we would love to hear your feedback. Uh, please email us, and as we mentioned, if there are any specific questions that you have for any of the panelists, uh, please let us know. Let us know who you want to be addressed to. We'll forward it to them, and uh, Time permitting on their ends, we will uh, get responses for you. Uh, so please uh, let us know what, uh, what, what your questions are at otspresents at ots.org.il. That's otspresents at ots.org.il. Uh, we also look forward to uh, welcoming you at uh, our next conversation, which will be taking place next month on Wednesday, June 9th, uh, 7 p.m. in Israel, 5 p.m. in the United Kingdom, 12 p.m. Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. The topic uh, next month is going to be what are the next glass ceilings for women in orthodoxy? The discussion will feature Rabbanit Devorah Evran, uh, who is the director of Artura Stone's Susie Bradfield, Bradfield Women's Institute of, Hala of Halachic Leadership. Uh, it will include Rabbanit Sally Mayer, 
Rush Midrashav Ortor Stone's Maria and Joel Finkel Overseas Program at Midrashat Lindenbaum, and will be moderated by Judy Berman, an, 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 excuse me, an attorney who is also a member of Ortor Stone's board. Uh, it promises to be, again, another exciting and lively conversation. In the meantime, from all of us at Ortor Stone, Shalom. <laughs>